So before we jump into our Advent series and our sermon for today, I need your help for a minute, please. Can y'all help me with something for just a second? Um, I need your help to say thank you to a specific group of volunteers in our church. I'm going to ask our sheepdogs to come join me on the stage this morning. Um, And I feel really like the oddball and out of uniform and unimpressive and wish I had a weapon. Um, so here, no, you can't. You do not want to do that. Trust me, nobody wants that. That does not make us feel safer. Okay, um, so here's the deal. Uh, I asked them up here for a couple reasons. One is, um, if you're not familiar with this team, because we haven't introduced them uh, for a couple years because of uh, how services were there during uh, the heart of the pandemic, but... Uh, these folks are fully licensed security officers in the state of Texas, um, kind of like if you think of the private security detail for the Bass family or the Jones family, uh, this is the security detail for the Temple family, right? And here's the difference. They do it for free, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, if you knew what they go through, through licensing, it is an incredible process uh, and they've done so because they believe that you are worth it, and they believe that your kiddos are worth it, and they believe that this mission is worth it. And so for, we wanted to do two things this morning. We wanted to kind of put eyeballs on them. Juan Hernandez was not able to be here this morning, but picture Juan up here with them. And part of what we wanted to do is just say thank you. Would you help me do that this morning? Thank you so much for that. You can have a seat. The second thing I want you to do for them, I hope you'll never have to do for them. We hope that they're kind of just a big waste of money, right? Because we pay for their, their licensing, security, all that stuff. We hope that they never really have to use their training. But if there ever is a moment where any of these folks ask you to do something, please just trust them and respect them. The goal of our sheepdogs is to just blend in and not make a scene. So if they, you feel like they're kind of making a scene, it's for a purpose. So here's the deal. If they ever give you instructions, don't look around to figure out why. Just follow them. And then specifically, because we are a church in the heart of Texas, if you are carrying a firearm, that is your God-given right to keep that in your pocket if they are engaging in a response, and let's let them lead the way. Um, there are more fatalities from cross-shooting in church shootings than actually, actually from active shooters. And so we'd ask you to trust the process. I know that's a heavy thought, and we don't want to think about that, and that's why we don't do this all the time. Uh, but we just want to remind you again, let's trust these folks who've been through the proper training uh, to, to, to handle the situation the way that they deem best. Does that make sense? Yes. We got it? Tell them another thank you as they get out of my way. feel so safe right now. <laughs> Never mind. Would y'all just stand up here the whole time I preach? <laughs> we should do this on a Sunday. I'm talking about politics. Y'all should just stand around me. I'll preach from behind y'all. <laughs> Last week, we started our Advent series called The Gift 
Um, if you did not grow up in an Advent tradition, uh, the word Advent just means arriving. It means on its way. It's that email you get from Amazon that says your order has shipped. That's Advent. It's on its way. It's it's coming. And so what we do traditionally, what the church has done for nearly 2,000 years is focused on the coming of God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, and then focused on his second coming, that there is still another Advent on the way. And our Advent series is called The Gift. We're focusing on the three wise men or the three magi. I shared with you last week, I've never actually preached on the three wise men before, and I think I mentioned this last week. It was listening to a sermon by Craig Groeschel that I was like, I want to preach about the wise men. I want to preach about the Magi. And then I heard a story, a sermon uh, by Mark Batterson about the star and was like, oh, I want to preach about that too. Um, and so that was kind of the, the inspiration of this. If you're not familiar with the, the real Christmas story, um, it's actually not about a fat guy in a red suit. Um, it's actually about uh, a virgin giving birth to a baby who would grow up and claim to be the most audacious thing you could claim to be. God. God in the flesh, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And as he was growing up, we believe around two years old, but still in Bethlehem, uh, they had gotten a house. They were no longer in the manger and stable. Um, we believe that they were living in a home. These magi came, and uh, we believe these magi were well-educated, influential, probably wealthy astronomers. They were probably kind of pagan sorcerers who traveled from the east. Went to Jerusalem first, uh, went for a pit stop said, hey, we're trying to follow this star. Where do you think it's heading? And the chief priest and the scribes said, we believe the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And they traveled to Bethlehem, and that's where they find Jesus. But they bring these really interesting gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And beginning this week, we're going to unpack, no pun intended, uh, each of those three gifts. We're going to unwrap each of those three gifts. I didn't even think of that until right now. Um, we're going to begin with gold this week because that's the order that they appear in the text. Uh, we don't know what order they were actually given to toddler Jesus. But um, the, the series, though, is not called the gifts. It's called the gift because we believe in each of these gifts. There was a, uh, a picture being given. They were pointing to the gift, Jesus the Christ. And so each week we're looking to, to see things that were the gift given by the guys who didn't even understand who they were looking for, but what was Jesus revealing us about, or to us about himself in that gift. So please grab your Bible if you would this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there uh, should be one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, we're going to hold up our Bibles together. We're going to say our creed together before we jump into our text this morning. And so uh, I invite you to join with me in that. And let's say this with some conviction this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you. Please turn to Matthew chapter 2. If you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 757. Um, We'll actually pick up later in that on the next page, but page 757. Matthew chapter 2. As we're turning, um, I want to recap super quickly last week. Last week we looked at the first gift that the wise men gave, and we said it was actually the most important gift. They gave the gift of themselves. They showed up. They followed the star. 
That was their gift, but what was the gift of Jesus? And this is the part I really want to kind of circle back to uh, because uh, the sermon was pretty long last week, and so I started rushing at the end, and I didn't say this as explicitly as I want to say it. And so uh, I want you to hear with your hearts this morning, here's, here's the bow on the gift of last week. Jesus is our guide. Because they gave the gift of following, but that was in response to his gift of leading. Right. The gift of the star shows us that Jesus is our guide. He is in the business of directing us to himself because he's too good to do anything else. He can't help but orchestrate the events of our lives, the good and the bad, the wins and the losses, the triumphs and the pain to direct us to more of himself because he knows he's the best gift. And so they gave the best gift of themselves and he gave the best gift of himself. That is, he leads us to himself. Jesus is our guide. This morning, we're just going to look at the kind of the heart of the story. We won't reread the whole text like we did last week. Uh, let's just look at two verses this morning, verses 10 and 11. Verse 10, just because I love this verse. When they saw the star, and we mean when the star kind of stopped over the house where they were, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I just love that verse. Because I think we could use a big, fat dose of that these days, right? But we'll really spend our time focusing on verse 11. Going into the house, not the barn, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. Can y'all say fell down with me? Fell down. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This morning we're going to focus on the gift of gold and how does the gift of gold point to the greater gift for a whole lot of years. Hundreds of years, uh, scholars have found symbolism in these gifts. And this series is kind of revolving around uh, that historic symbolism that we see. Because gold was so expensive then, which isn't that different now, because gold was so rare then, gold was what we might would call a gift fit for a king, exclusively for a king. There's multiple places in Scripture where we, where we read about people coming into the presence of a king. And in most of those cases, it tells us that they brought gifts involving gold. It was common if you were appearing before a king that you would bring one of the most valuable, one of the most rare things available then, and that was the gift of gold. Last week in the star, we saw that Jesus is our guide. This week, we see in the gold that Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. The gift of gold, it would be common for it to be brought to a king. It would be most uncommon for the gift of gold to be brought to a carpenter's toddler. Right? But it would be very common to be brought to a king. We still give the gift of gold sometimes in our culture, usually in the form of jewelry, right? 23 years ago, Christmas Eve, 1998, I was a wise man. And gave a gift of gold. 
So here's the story. Maurice and I have been dating for quite a while. We've been talking about getting married in the summer of 1999. I told her I didn't have the money to buy an engagement ring. It would take till probably the spring, so we would do a shorter engagement. Um, but one of the things that she really wanted uh, when she got engaged is she wanted a gold engagement ring and gold uh, wedding band. Everything she had at that point was silver, and that's what was cool and hip, and only old people were gold, no offense. But uh, So I had bought her a good bit of silver jewelry in our dating time, but she wanted gold jewelry. So Christmas Eve of 1998, we did something very wise. We went to the Christmas Eve service at our church. Insert commercial here. We would love to have you at our Christmas Eve service this year. This year, it's on December 24th. Write it down. It's different than normal. Just kidding. It's still always Christmas Eve. One person got it. There you go. <laughs> um, but we encourage you to come to Christmas Eve. We encourage you to bring someone with you to Christmas Eve. And then we're going to be reaching out to some of you this week, asking you to make some homemade cookies or asking you to be a door holder for Christmas Eve. And so we'd ask you to help partner in that way. Uh, we'll be following up with you later. Back to the sermon already in progress on Christmas Eve. We went to our Christmas Eve service. I sang with the vocalist and she played piano with the orchestra. And then afterwards, we were on uh, our way to actually my folks' house and she was, we were going to have a Christmas you know, shindig or whatever. And I said, well, I want to give you my presents first. And so there's a really nice park near our house with a pond and a bridge and a little picnic table. And so we went there and I gave her these gifts. And she opened up the first gift that was a gold necklace. And she's like, oh. This means it's for because we're gonna get engaged. So it's about way more than the necklace, right? She opens up the second gift. It was a gift of gold earrings, and now the uh, is like a pitch I can't do. It's higher. And then she opened up the third gift. It was a gold bracelet, and she was like, "Oh, this was so exciting because those gifts represented something that she was adventing. She was hoping it was coming, right? Not inventing. It was adventing. And the love was real." Um, What she did not know was that my brother Mark had been sent ahead of time and he had hit an engagement ring on the roof of that little picnic table and it was hiding in the woods to make sure nobody stole it and because he was a creeper. And um, and so after she had opened those gifts, I pulled that ring down, dropped on one knee and said, will you marry me? And then she gave me a greater gift. She said, yes. Yeah. I was a wise man. Not not a pagan sorcerer, a wise man. Um, <laughs> in that moment, though, the reason, because those of you who know Marisa well, she does not cry very often. She cries once a year whether she needs to or not. And so in that moment, she got very emotional because the gold jewelry represented something much greater. And in the same way in that moment, that gift of gold, whatever form it was, represents a truth that changes everything. And that is that that baby who was born to a virgin was Jesus Christ, our king. He's the king. And we don't know a lot about kings. Kings aren't how we roll. We have elected officials or something like that. So we don't know how kings work. We've got Burger King and Smoothie King and Service King, Lion King, King Kong. We got BB King and Stephen King and Larry King. We got LeBron James who thinks he's the king but never will be. Michael Jordan's that. (laughs) 
But what we do know is that Jesus is the king. And they knew that too. Because if you remember, we, we read more of the text last week. In verse number two, it says, you know, these wise men traveled, they followed the star, they came to Jerusalem from the east, they appear before the king. And here's what they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They came looking for a king. They just had no idea that he was way more than just the king of the Jews. Where is the king? Uh, I, I told you that, that this sermon by Craig Rochelle, that, uh, this, this topic rather by Craig Rochelle was like, ooh, I really want to talk about that. Because there's two things that, that he brought attention to that I've never thought of before. And that is just that, that lack of understanding about what was behind that question. They had no idea. You know why they had no idea? Because Jesus was a king like no other king has ever been. He was a king like no other. And it began with his birth. See, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the entire Jewish religious system was looking forward to the king. And they expected him to be very kingly. Born in a palace. Born into power. Born into wealth. Groeschel said, in our context, they would have expected that the crib was like royal purple and, and he had on a Gucci onesie and little baby Yeezys and like his Instagram profile had gone viral in the first week of his little infant life. No one expected being born into poverty to unknown people, carpenter, from an unknown place. Nazareth? Literally, when Nathaniel was invited to follow Jesus, his response was, can anything good come out of there? But wait, no, it's better. They were born in Bethlehem. Oh, that's actually not better. <laughs> this insignificant place to these struggling people, he is a king like no other. No one expected him to be born in a cave surrounded by farm animals. His birth was unexpected, but so was his life. Nobody expected the king to be friends with prostitutes. Nobody expected the king to be friends with people who for thousands of years only have one descriptor, sinners. Nobody expected he would be a foot washer. Nobody expected the king to touch lepers. Nobody expected the king to bow down and draw in the dirt on behalf of a woman caught in adultery. Nobody expected the king to confront the religious rulers and call them hypocrites, overturn their tables. No one expected a king like this. No one expected a king whose favorite people were the outcasts. And no one expected a king's pinnacle moment to be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, being cheered on by the misfits of society. But if his birth was unexpected, 
And his ministry was unexpected. His death was surely unexpected. A king betrayed by one of his own. A mock trial in the dark of night. A king stripped bare publicly and beaten and flogged and mocked. Not very kingly. A king who would be spat upon. A king who would use the little bit of breath he had in his lungs to pray for forgiveness for the people mocking him. That's not very kingly. But if his birth was unexpected, and his life was unexpected, and his death was unexpected, believe me when I tell you, nobody expected what was coming next. (laughs) Nobody expected that Three days later, women would run in the cool of the morning. They would go to this borrowed stranger's tomb and discover that his body wasn't there. That he was risen from the dead. If his birth was unexpected and his death was unexpected and his resurrection was unexpected, Guess what? His second advent is going to be unexpected too because he's coming again. But here will be the difference. We will all see him as king. This time when he comes, there will be no mistaking that Jesus is our king. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the apostle Paul is trying to encourage Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. For how long? Until the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. When he comes back, there'll be no mistaking that the King has come. That's the whole heart of Advent, is that we're looking for the King who is coming. And here's what's interesting. We read a second ago in our text that the wise men said, where is he who is born King of the Jews. He was called that again at his death. A sign was hung above the cross. This is the King of the Jews. And the wise men called him that confused. But the crowd called him that to mock him. But when he comes back, he won't come back as king of the Jews. He'll come back as the king of kings and as the Lord of lords. Jesus is our king. He's a king like no other. They brought a gift of gold, and in that gift we see the gift. Jesus is our king. The living gift to a dying world is that Jesus is our King. So I told you there was two things that excited me about this text. And the first one is this idea of how unexpected this King was. Here's the second thought that that Groeschel pointed out that was so good to me. He pointed out that there's three responses to the kingship of Jesus in this text. That if I look in my own heart and life, I've seen the same three responses. And when I look at the world around me, I see the same three responses. And so the question this morning is, how do we respond to the kingship of Jesus? Jesus is our king, a king like no other. Now what? 
What is our response? So I want you to look at three responses here in this story with me. We're going to look at Herod's response. And then we're going to look at the the religious leader's response. If you remember from last week, when Herod's asked this question, he brings in the chief priests and scribes, the elite theologians. Says, where's the Messiah going to be born? They quote from what we now call the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. There was no book, there was no chapter, there was no verse. But they quoted from the prophet Micah and told him it was in Bethlehem. And then they went back home. So we're going to look at Herod's response and we're going to look at the religious leader's response and then we're going to look at the wise men's response. Here's Herod's response. Herod, his response was to fight against Jesus, our king. The story goes on, and we haven't read the text yet. You can read it on your own. It'll actually be our focus in a few weeks. But Herod issues a decree that every male Jewish kid two years of age and younger would be executed. It's part of how we know that Jesus was older here at this part of the story. Two years old and younger, every male Jewish kid would be executed because he was threatened. He was afraid his kingdom was threatened. Herod's response was to fight. Herod denied that Jesus was king. Herod attacked. He felt threatened and scared, so he opposed him as king. Herod's response was to reject Jesus, our King. And the fact is, I see that all around me. And I see that in me. I see moments where I want to do things my way. I see moments where I think I got this when I really need the King. I see moments where I reject what I know is the revealed will of God and I choose my own path because I do not submit to the authority of the King. And I also see it all around me. I see a culture right now on mission to reject the kingship of Jesus. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I'm fine on my own. That mentality, whether we know it or not, is we are opposing the king of kings. You know, there was this moment not long after the previous uh, administration's election need to call the sheepdogs back up. Um, there was a moment not long after Trump was elected that we saw shirts and banners and flags and parades that said, not my president. From those on the left. And those on the right were like, that's so dumb. He is your president, whether you like it or not. Are you saying that you relinquished your citizenship? And then Biden was elected. And we had the T-shirts and the banners and the flags that said, nope. Biden is not my president. And then the people on our left were like, well, that's dumb. Yes, he is. Are you saying it? Because that's how politics always work. It's cyclical. But the story that was true in both of those is it wasn't true. Now, this would have taken a much larger T-shirt, but it technically could have shed, uh, should have said, I am disappointed that he is my president because I did not vote for him. I voted for the other party because I believe he was going to be a superior uh, president. And this is disappointing and does not align with my worldview and my values. And I'm sad about it. But that would be a really big shirt. 
running back and sides and everything. Yes. Hood. As goofy as that is, here's the thing. You might not want to see Jesus as king, but that doesn't change the reality that he's the king. He does not need our vote, our endorsement, our allegiance. He's king. Whether we submit to him, whether we acknowledge him, he's king. And when we don't honor him and revere him as king, we look as goofy as the person who seems to not know the election results. Herod's response was to fight Herod denied. Herod attacked. Herod saw Jesus as opposition. He saw Jesus as intimidating. And so Herod's response to Jesus, our king, was to reject. But there's a second group. The religious leaders. The ones who knew where the Messiah was to be born. And so Herod's response was to fight. But the religious leader's response was to forget. They just went back to life. They quoted from the prophet Micah. They, they knew the prophecy. And from Jerusalem to Bethlehem was six miles. Maybe only five. And they didn't bother to go. And maybe they were scared. Maybe, maybe they were scared of Herod in that moment. What will it look like to align with him? And what we talked about last week, maybe they just didn't believe it was worth it. Maybe they thought it was too good to be true. But whatever they thought, they minimized the fact that a king was born. They saw it as unimportant. They just went back to life as usual. How true was that for us on Monday? They were apathetic. They were disinterested. Herod's response was to fight. Their response was to forget. Herod attacked. The religious leaders avoided. Herod denied. The religious leaders dismissed. Herod saw Jesus as opposition, but the religious leaders saw him as optional. Herod saw Jesus as intimidating. The religious leaders saw him as irrelevant. And so Herod's response was to reject Jesus, our king. But the religious leader's response was to reduce Jesus our King. Just not that big a deal. But there's a third response. We read it in our text. They entered the house, they saw Jesus, and they fell down and worshiped him. They had no idea what was going on. They did not understand the prophecies from what we believe. And yet they fell down and worshipped him because they understood him in the presence of a king. Herod's response was to fight. And the religious leader's response was to forget. But the wise men's response was to fall. The most humbling honorable physical posture they could assume. They bowed down in front of a two-year-old. They submitted, they honored, they worshipped him. So here's the three responses. Herod, 
His response was to fight. The religious leader's response was to forget. The wise men's response was to fall. Where Herod denied and the religious leaders dismissed, the wise men delighted. Where Herod attacked and the religious leaders avoided, the wise men adored. Herod saw Jesus as opposition. The religious leaders saw Jesus as optional. But the wise men saw him as the only wise God. Herod saw Jesus as intimidating. The religious leaders saw him as irrelevant. The wise men saw him as the immortal king. And so here's the three summaries. Here's the heart of the response. Herod's response was to reject Jesus as king. The religious leader's response was to reduce Jesus our king. The wise men's response was to revere Jesus our king. And the question that rings in this moment for us today is which response resonates with us? Where are we? Because Jesus is our king. The only question is, how do we respond to that? Are we fighting against that truth? Are we ignoring that truth? Or are we submitting to and delighting in that truth that Jesus is our king? A king like none other. So we're going to end our service differently today. Now, I'm going to ask the band right now to make their way up. Can you just remain seating, uh, seated for a second? I want you to listen to me. In a minute, um, we're going to begin to sing a song together about the kingship of Jesus. And as we do, there will be some men and women in the prayer room in the back. You can text PrayFW to 94000 if you need to talk to somebody about submitting to the king, having a relationship with God, what that looks like. We'd love to have that conversation with you. But for just a moment, I'd like for you to examine your heart and genuinely ask yourself, what is my response today to Jesus, our King? Hear me, friend. Listen to me. I don't want to know what your response was when you were a little kid and prayed a prayer. Or when you first got married and got serious about stuff. Or maybe when you had your first kid and got scared enough to get back in church. No, no, no. Today. What's your response to Jesus, our King, today, right now? I believe there's only one appropriate response. It's to worship Him. It is to fall down, to revere Him as the King like none other. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read this. This is a, a paraphrase from that sermon I told you that meant so much to me by, by Craig Groeschel. And I just want to read this over us today. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask that you'd open up your heart and engage your heart for just a moment. And here's what I want you to do. I don't know, some of you are not very imaginative or creative thinkers. And so this might be a stretch, but I want you to come with me for just a second to that house. 
And I want us to step for just a second into the presence of Jesus. I want us to look upon our King this morning. Our King, according to the Scriptures, is the King of all glory. He is the King of righteousness. He is the King of the ages. He is the King of all kings. This Jesus, our King, heals the sick. He opens blind eyes. He heals deaf ears. He strengthens the weak. He delivers the captive. He restores those who are broken and hurting because He is the King like none other. This King is the shelter in our time of trouble. He is a light when our world is dark. He is the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is our King. His goodness is indescribable. His power is incomprehensible. And His grace is irresistible. Jesus is our King. And at this King's name, darkness trembles in this king's presence demons flee and even though the devil himself hated this king he could not stop jesus our king death itself could not defeat him and the grave could not hold him because jesus is our king and he's a king like none other and so this morning we give praise to the king of kings we stir our hearts and our affections to the King of Kings. Let's worship Him together.